Randy, if you could start any business in the world, what would it be? You know, startups don't really appeal to me, Lily. I much prefer, you know, later stage companies, growth kind of problems. Oh, I love an early stage startup, as you know. And we've spoken on the pod before about how startup PM work is quite a different role, but we've never really gone into loads of detail. That's true. But today we're going to do exactly that. Kartik Suresh, who's now a product manager at Facebook, not a startup, joins us to share his experience of working at early stage startups, how that changed as the company grew, how equity and options really work. And if that's not enough, he compares it to his new gig. So if you're interested in how product is different in these different types of organizations and which one might suit you better, then stay tuned. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Kardik, so nice to meet you and welcome to the Product Experience Podcast. Yes, so nice to meet you as well. Thanks for having me. Um, So before we get stuck into our topic today, it'd be great to find out a little bit about you, um, your career and kind of how you got into this crazy world of product. Yeah, sure. So just, just to start from the beginning. So I have a computer science and also a business background. I started my career uh, in algorithmic trading and high frequency trading space uh, in, in in Wall Street, uh, work started working for Morgan Stanley and then for a prop trading firm called Knight Capital, which got acquired by uh, another couple of firms, but went to a bunch of M and A during those times. They did for about six years, and I was like, okay, I don't want to be uh, stuck in financial services for the rest of my life. So I was thinking, what's next? And then went to business school in London. You know, like business schools is the best way to, I think, pivot <laughs> your career. <laughs> um, so I went to business school. And while I was at business school, I, I was always I was always interested in entrepreneurship. And I want to get back into tech. Uh, so while at business school, I co-founded a company called Altrest, uh, went through the seed camp. Uh, and, and, and that was an interesting experience. But that didn't last long. Um, after that, I joined another company called Kraft uh, as a second employee. And where I uh, basically spent four years, uh, initially joined them as a head of business operations. And then, but then it was literally like, uh, like basically wearing so many different hats and then eventually specialized into a product role. Uh, and that's how I got into product. And after that, I joined Facebook as a, uh, as a product manager, uh, right? Currently, uh, I am product manager on the hashtags and cultural relevance team on, on, on Facebook app. Uh, and we'll also be we'll be moving to uh, the Facebook Reality Labs uh, as a growth product manager uh, starting Jen. Wow, that sounds amazing. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry I know you did, the tradition we normally have is the person who does the intro asks the first question, but there's something that we didn't put on the list that I wanted to ask, which is uh, you talked about the fact that you went to business school as a, as a way to pivot your career. And there's always a debate about 
whether product managers need an MBA or whether it's even helpful to have an MBA. What did you find? Was it, how was it useful for you? And compared to other product managers that you meet, some will have, some won't have, what, what do you see as the big difference? Oh yeah, this is this is one of the most uh, like debated questions on Twitter. I think, <laughs> like, so that's a great question. And uh, so my views are, uh, you know, you you absolutely don't need an MBA to be a good product manager, right? But I do think MBA helps. Like having MBA definitely helps uh, because a large part of the product, you know, when you think of the product, traditionally product managers without a business background, they think they obviously think in terms of user pain problem, pain points and all that. That is great. But there's also like at the end of the day, a business model, right? Why are you building the product? How do you make money? How do you market it? Like all of those things, it's it's actually easier if you also have a business background or even a business experience, right? That's where I think um, having an MBA helps. It, cre- it creates more of like a holistic approach to product development, uh, right? But having said that, it's not it's not an absolute must. For example, if you can do a startup instead of an MBA, that's probably an even better way to learn, right? How the business is like actually done because in the classes, there's only so much you can do. There's also another point about business school is like, you know, taking these two years off life, like really taking time to reflect and think about what you really want, meeting all these wonderful, amazing people, talented people. So that's a different like a community and like life experience aspect, right? So not necessarily from a product management perspective, but just from like a more creating like a more fulfilling, wholesome, like life and career perspective. I think it, it adds value there. So you started your own startup after business school um, and then went through seed camp. So that must have been a really interesting process. Did you learn? Did you, Was that a kind of way of putting to practice everything that you'd learned at business school? or And was there was there a lot of different stuff that you then learned at seed camp? Yeah, yeah. Great question. So to be honest, like I think I was the only MBA in my batch at seed camp, like among all the founders. Right. So that should stay. Really? Um, so, but then I did apply, uh, like a lot of stuff, which I, in fact, you know, the, the good thing is there's also a lot of, um, organizational stuff, the soft skills, which you learn during MBA, like the negotiations and organizational behavior, which is huge, right? So because communications is the key and soft skills is the key when you're trying to attract talent, attract investors. So that played a big part actually, you know, where I could apply my skills from business school, even at seed camp. What was the biggest thing you took away from Seed Camp, do you think? Cause, and the reason why I'm really interested in uh, in this is because I have a friend who also went through Seed Camp who um, is one of the best product people that I know. So <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to see if that was him or if there's like this, all of these Seed Camp alumni out there, which is my, in, you know, but that's my takeaway from that. <laughs> Yeah, no, Seed Camp was amazing. It was an intro. It was almost like a mini uh, MBA, or for a lack of better word, a mini like a business, like a boot camp, startup boot camp. Like they uh, trained us, and like like we had this all established founders and op- operators come in and give talks about, um, you know, like whether it's marketing or go to market or pricing, um, and then and the product, of course. Right. So I think that was really valuable. And there's a lot of community support. So you have a bunch of uh, founders who are, who are at the same stage doing the same thing. So you have that emotional and moral support, like people all like are around you are doing the same thing. Right. So I think those are the really good aspects of uh, going to the accelerator, I think. OK, so then you went to Craft, as you said, and uh, you, point number two started off. Uh, in a business operations, moved into products. What was that journey like? Why did it morph? And and what was uh yeah, just what was it like to to change that role? Yeah, 
So yeah, just to just to wrap on the Altrest, uh, and unfortunately, it did not work with the co-founder. So that's one of the, in fact, that's like I think one of the number one reasons why startups don't work is the the, the founders they don't get along. Um, and I think there's a time when I think we were doing well, but there's we couldn't agree on the future direction um, of the startup. Um, but I think the startup is still alive and doing well. Uh, so touch wood, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I, I do miss working for Altrest and being a part of Seedcamp. But after Seedcamp, I joined Kraft as a second employee, and it was a single founder company. And my role initially was uh, as head of business operations. So it was almost like a title where it's like a jack of all, like you do uh, so many different hats. Like uh, I think the CEO in, in, a, in a typical startup, um, not necessarily Kraft, you know, the CEO is responsible for the vision, making sure there's money in the bank and recruiting. Um, and then you have the CTO who is basically doing all the all the tech work, and then and then there was me who was doing everything else other than like operations and product and marketing. Um, so that's kind of how I started at Craft, and also Craft just to give a little bit more context. Craft is like an enterprise intelligence company, and at, at that time uh, the main uh, goals were to like source as much alternative data points on companies as possible, um, and uh, and and that's why that's what I started started out doing at Craft. So as the company grew, you moved more into a product role um, and founders tend to kind of fill that product role kind of in the in the early days. So when did that shift start to occur of the, the kind of the founder, presumably taking on more of the CEO sort of role and then you filling more of that that sort of product space? Yeah, so that's right. So typically, I guess in just any startups, I think the first PM hire is around twenty to thirty employees. Like when you have around ten engineers, and that's when you start to think about hiring a like a specialized product manager. Uh, I think it's no different in craft in the sense that my my first role did encompass a lot of product product management, but of course it was also CEO led and founder led. Um, but there's, there's also some differences because the CEO came from um, uh, like a business background, and I came from a tech background, so I could bring that perspective into product development. And having said that, there's also like when startups go through this journey of finding product market fit, there's a tons of pivots involved. Uh, like I've been involved in multiple startups, uh, work work for a few of them, be an advisor on a few of them. It's almost always involves some kind of a pivot, right? So be having to think through that it really helps. Like so, it's not just the CEO directing the vision. It's it's actually like a team where we're thinking about, like for example, the craft. The initial focus was on job seekers, and then it, and then it shifted away to another segment, right? So, and and though there are aspects of product management where you bring in super early on, like thinking about users, thinking about like what problem you're solving, and how do you define solutions, and how do you validate that, and how do you iterate rapidly to find product market fit. So even though I would say like the first PM, specialized PM is hired like generally at employee, like 20 to 30 employees, there is still like a lot of product management functions, which is performed by not just the CEO, but a few different early employees. And I think product market fit is such a, having worked at a few startups, it's like the kind of the holy grail that all startups <laughs> is sort of grasping for, but no one quite knows what it means to them, I guess, until they've achieved it. So. Did you get to a point where you and the team were like, yes, this is it. We have product market fit. Or was it more of a kind of gentle nudge in that direction? Yeah, I think it was, uh, to be honest, it was it was definitely a longer journey uh, than we expected it to be. 
And I'm, first of all, I'm so glad we found product market fit because that's number two reason why product startups fail because they, they cannot find product market fit. Right? So having seen that, so we did we did find product market fit, but it was a long journey. We had to go through a couple of iterations and experiment with different audience or user segments before we found that. So it's not just about um, like finding product market fit in the sense like, okay, like, it's also making sure the business is profitable and can scale to millions of dollars, right? So because it's it's a it can be a venture backable business, right? So I mean maybe you find a product market fit in a much much smaller uh, you know user segment. So if they really like the product, but then you're never going to you know make the startup big, right? So it's it's also about finding the right uh, industry user uh, where you can actually have like a venture back company. So. Um, it took a few different uh, iterations, but eventually, yeah, eventually it was obvious when we we saw that there are multiple clients who are interested in the exact same product and willing to pay like higher price points and willing to sign multi-year contracts. And it was super clear when you you had product market fit. So how were you measuring that for yourself? Because there's a lot of different ways and there's a leading metrics and lagging metrics on that. What was the way that you defined product market fit? Yeah, so it's it's literally like having more than two enterprise clients in the exact same industry sign a annual or a multi-year co- high-value high contract for uh, almost um, the exact product or almost similar product. Right? So that's kind of how we thought about product market fit. That's the most concise definition I've ever heard. That's really great. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> Um, and talking of metrics, so there's another kind of thing that, um, you know, when I was working in startups, we always used to obsess about finding that aha moment of when you're, you know, that that moment when your customers, the penny drops and they go, oh, yeah, I see the value in the product that you're offering. Um, and then they, I don't know, sign up for them. Maybe they sign up for the multi-year contract or they, uh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I wouldn't know what it would be in your, in your scenario, but did you, were you similarly kind of um, looking at the metrics and looking at the data to see how people are moving through your funnel and um, how you're converting people? And also then um, I guess it's difficult with enterprise because you can't tell whether they're churning, but you can see how much they're engaging in your products. How, I, how driven by metrics were you at that sort of early stage? Yeah, so generally speaking, right, uh, irrespective of crime, it's really hard to have uh, a ton of data or, or you know, at, at a, such an early stage. A lot of it is based on the few user interviews you do. You reach out to your own network, talk to them, try to validate. And that's why it takes long to find product market fit because, you, do, you, I mean, again, that's another big difference with a large company where you have tons of data where you can base your decisions based upon, right? So you have some hypothesis, you have a lot of intuition, um, you do that. Uh, from a from a craft perspective, we also had a you know a website which was doing really well. So we had tons of users visit our website, and we could like talk to them and figure out like you know what was uh, really interesting to them and why they were actually visiting the site, which really helped. Um, but to be honest, it was more it was a little it's a little like a painful process trying to like you know reach out to, like first like you sell for a hedge fund, then you say oh they're not the right fit, then you you then sell to another corporate, then you say oh yeah okay these these guys are doing great. So it was, it was more of a process, uh, an iterative process, rather than like fully data-informed or metrics-informed, at, at least at the very early stage. But once you, let's say, got to like the, the second or third year, then we could see the usage, for example, like I talked about, 
um, all these data points which Kraft had, we could see like which companies were pulling which kind of data, what they were interested in. We could talk to the the actual users inside the enterprise. So we we had a much better idea of what the product should be, right? But till then, it was all very like hypothesis, intuition, and gut-driven product development. Also like validating using your own internal network and the contacts you had. Okay, so before we move on to what it's like working in a big, uh, big, much bigger firm, <laughs> what did you love about working in a startup? Yeah, so I think there's a few different uh, things uh, here, right? So one is just uh, you need to be like really mission driven and impact driven in the sense you're so passionate that you really you, you're thinking about like why doesn't this product exist in the world today? I really want to bring this product to life. Right, so and that's one of the things I love the most uh, about working for a for a startup. The second thing is you get exposure to pretty much all all the areas of the business. So you're not just doing like product development, working with engineers and designers and so on. You're also like thinking about marketing, the go to market, right? I mean, you think about legal, you're thinking about so many different things. You think about competitors, and you you are you think even you think you're talking to investors about fundraising as well because they want to know about your product vision, right? So it's literally like you 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 do so many more things than what a traditional PM in a large firm might do. Um, and and then the, the final thing I would say is there's so much more autonomy here, uh, right? So basically, you're reporting to the CEO, right? This, this, you don't have a ton of different stakeholders. It's basically the the exec team and the the board and the investors. So you have a ton of autonomy to come up with you know ideas and and then plans. So those are some of the things I really loved working for startups. So, but you started your career at, in a larger financial services company. Now you're at Facebook, uh, and there are interesting things about working at a big company too. Uh, what did, what's the advantage of that? What was the attraction of making that jump? Yeah. Um, so there's a few different things here. Uh, let me, so the, 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 I mean, for me personally, the motivations for working for a large company was like one, I had never, never worked for a large uh, tech firm before. So I really wanted to see what it is like to build products at scale. And it's one thing to get the first million users versus developing a product for billions of users, right? I think the way you look at product development is completely different. I want to learn that. Um, then the impact you had, uh, you know, the, the impact you have, like you can literally, like you have a you have a feature you ship, which is again used by millions of people, and then you get the data immediately, and you get to like show impact, uh, like the very next day it ship, and that's that's something which is like. Uh, which is huge. Uh, it's almost like an adrenaline uh, <laughs> rush you get when you ship products, uh, especially when you have billions of people. So that's something which I wanted to experience, um, which is why I joined a big, big company. Um, having said that, there's so many things which, you know, is so different about working for large companies. One, um, here you need to like double down on communication, right? So it's all about communication. You need to think about the second order audience. You do, and then there's so many stakeholders in a company and, so uh, it's almost like the communication is is the key, um, and that's the number one thing. The second thing is, you know, you're almost like a facilitator, right? So people say you're like the CEO of the product, like a product manager, but I would I'd like to think about it as like a chief facilitator um, of, of of the decisions uh, because then you need to like. Uh, gather all the stakeholders together, everyone from, you know, the, the marketing and, I mean, design, user research, data scientists, engineers, marketing, policy, legal, and make sure everyone is aligned and you, you get all the ideas from everyone and then make sure the product actually bakes in all of these ideas to come up, come up with, like, something which is, like, really, uh, you know, gets shipped and takes off the market. 
So this alignment with other stakeholders is super critical. Then there's also uh, things you need to do, like you need to do a lot of reviews with like leaders in the company, make sure they are aligned with you. Uh, you need to write way more detailed spec, whereas in a startup, you're like, like you just get on a call with the engineer and you just brainstorm and then boom, you know, you can flip like, let's, let's do this. is a great idea. Just ship that doesn't work in a large company. Uh, <laughs> so there's a, there's a few different uh, pros and cons. Uh, but I guess the biggest one, if I have to point out is the impact. It's just... Uh, amazing to have to build or ship a feature and then see the very next day being used by millions of people and i think that sometimes you know it, it's worth all the other cons do you need powerful insight into how your users behave in your product don't we all well what if i told you that you can act on those to create targeted in-app messaging and accelerate the adoption of your product. Ooh, do I get happier users? Of course. And now you can do all that at no cost with Pendo's new free offering. Oh yeah, that's the one with no commitments and no time limits. Just industry-leading insight into how your product is being used and the tools to unlock its full potential. Start using it today at pendo.io forward slash free. So would you say, you know, it's similar work, but it's just more of it? Because <laughs> it sounds like, you know, everything is multiplied because you have to, uh, you have to kind of work with so many more people across the organization. Yeah, yeah. It's just much more of it, but also like, for example, in a large company, you have access to so many resources, right? Money or resources is not something you're worried about. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you want, you have a dedicated user researcher, for example, who will go talk to the users, run surveys, and then give you a nice report of, you know, what, what the people are expecting from the product. You don't have mm-hmm. that really in a startup. You need to do that yourself. You need to speak to the users yourself. You need to run the surveys yourself, right? Same thing with on the analytics side. Like in a big company, you probably have like somebody like in, in the data side, uh, somebody in the analytics side pulling all the data for you and helping you right, really make the decisions. Um, uh, but then in a startup, it's like you literally going through all the data. Hopefully, you know SQL. Hopefully, using what a Google Analytics or Mixpanel or whatever you're using um, analytics software to pull the data and make decisions. So the resources is a big thing, right? So somebody in a startup needs to be really hacky and and need to get the job done. Um, Then the other thing is like you have a really good, I'm guessing like a data and experimentation framework in the large companies. Uh, So when you ship something, you know, immediately whether it was, it was like, you can do a lot of AB testing. You can, you can, you can get the feedback in a very short amount of time, whether something you shipped is good or not. Whereas in a startup, the feedback cycle takes longer because you don't have that many users. (laughs) I think your experience at a large company at Facebook is very different than my experience at large companies that didn't have that kind of infrastructure, didn't have that way of working set up. Uh, and it's, it's really interesting, interesting to hear. So, uh, but you said you had to do it all yourself at Craft. At Facebook, you might have a researcher dedicated to you to helping out. Do you feel less connected then? Do you still want to do it yourself or do you still have the ability to get as involved? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, so even, even at large companies, I think there there's a part of it where I need to get involved myself because uh, like 
I really hate bothering whoever's working on analytics. Like, hey, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? Can you find this one data point? Can you see what's the retention on 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 this cohort? Like, and you can go on and on and on. So I, I do think like to be a successful PM and even in a large company, you need to have at least some basics analytics skills. Uh, and I do do that right now, even today, even my today's job when I do it again. It's only when it requires a lot more detailed analysis that's when I I, I look the you know the dedicated the specialist um, uh, in. So. Yeah, I would. I would say that's. I, I mean, as a PM, whether it's for a startup or for a large company, having the skills to like basically analyze the data, talk to users, you know, finding pain. I think those are some of the core skills I would expect for any uh, successful PM. And one of the main differences I've seen with kind of startups versus you know working at startups and working um, at bigger organizations is that. When you go to work at a startup, generally you're early stage, so you get share options and sometimes quite significant ones. Um, but, you know, when you go to a bigger corporation or a more established corporation, um, you don't always get that opportunity to feel like you're invested in the business in the same way that you do um, when you're working in a startup. So there's this kind of feeling of, you want the business to be a success because actually you have a financial like vested interest in it being a success yeah. versus, well, it's just paying my salary. So, you know, um, I don't know, just less of a, less of that sort of financial interest. Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> in fact, I'm so glad you asked that question because I do feel there is uh, a lot of things out there, which is not very clear, especially for employees of a startup. I honestly believe the entire startup ecosystem is built for investors and founders. And sometimes employees do not get the, the best pie. Um, and mm-hmm. I'll go into reasons why. So there's there's a few different things here. One, like I have so many friends, you know, working for different startups. The first thing is when you get a... Um, when you get an options, uh, you know, when you get chair options for the startups, you need to really think about what the uh, the premium is, options premium is, right? So I, I know my some of my friends who quit the startups couldn't really get all the options excised because they didn't have enough money to excise the options. So they actually left considerable money on the table. And today I think it's worth 10x. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the sec, that's one thing. The second thing is you really need to know what the valuation is, what percentage of equity do you own? A lot of my friends, again, they talk about, oh, I own 10,000 shares, which is worth 100,000. But I'm like, okay, so what What does it mean? What percentage of the company is it? At what valuation is it, right? And they have no clue. That's changed mm-hmm. significantly. I know Carta is like doing a great job there. But still, like I know a significant um, uh, percentage of uh, employees in the startup ecosystem, they don't have that visibility. And this is pretty critical going to startups, um, knowing what you're getting into, knowing what the valuation is, what percentage do you know, doing different scenario analysis, like at what exits do you, you know, and then what, what your uh, equity is going to be worth, then how much money you, do you need to actually exercise your options. And then even if there's an exit, then even being aware of what are some of the liquidity preference uh, and, and participation preference of the lead investors are so that you know that you're still going to make some money, uh, right? So those are all very important questions to ask even before you join a startup. Talk a little bit about what that means, about the uh, the preferences and things like that. And I think the one other thing that's related to it is uh, even if you've got the shares, even if you're in a, potentially in a good position, when something goes public, the price that it, it goes at and the price that reaches that first day when it has that pop, who's really benefiting from that? 
and it is and I remember lock in periods and things like that. I'm asking a lot, but I think I'm going <laughs> in yeah. a direction. <laughs> yeah so i mean so if if you stay stick around long enough and if you're if you're one of the fortunate companies if you had to work for one of those fortunate companies which had ipo then awesome right that's like the dream scenario that's that's the that's what the dream is about right like you work you work for the startup and one day it ipos or exits and then you 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 know you you also have a like a mission led career but at the same time you're financially taken care of right but the percentage of that is like pretty low like something like 1% or something like less than that uh, of the seed funded companies actually ipo right so that's that's there um but then um if if if, if you do end up ipoing obviously the investors and founders uh, are the ones who probably like gain the most unless until you're an early employee like you're in the top let's say top 20 to 50 employees then you you do really well for sure but other than that um you know it's it's kind of questionable uh, to see like unless you're like the top five ipos like for example if you're an early employee of airbnb right then no brainer uh, mm-hmm. but how many of how many airbnbs did uh, there is like yeah. thousands of thousands of startups which get seed funded how many actually get to that stage so that's the question you need to uh, really ask um but overall which is uh, i'm just just trying to add a little bit more on 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 why you would work for a startup then uh, actually trying to answer the original question like at the end of the day if you are so mission driven as i said you're so passionate about this product and you really want to see this product exist and you want to bring this to to the world and that should be one of the main motivators not just financial motivator because more often than not it's actually like it takes a long time a really long time to actually see any rewards um and in order to stick around for all this roller coaster ride there should be much more than a financial force which is binding you to this startup it is your passion your mission or your team or whatever that is right so that's how i would think about it mm I, well i suppose and just to play devil's advocate to to that point if you are having to pivot away from the core like mission of the product i suppose you know i maybe you have to be mission driven but easily or not easily persuaded either way but kind of um open to using the product in different ways to make it a successful business rather than just a a good product yeah so i guess uh, it depends on like how broad the mission is for example like you know if if your mission is for example democratizing the access to business data right uh the product itself uh, it can be like the 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 specific product is like okay this is a product for hedge funds and this is a product for sales people and this is a product for x so that can go to multiple pivots but the overall mission of democratizing access to business data is still is still yeah. right so it's just right. how you think about this very specific product right so i haven't so i haven't really seen Um, I mean, I think Slack is one of those examples which started as a, like a gaming company and then became a messaging. But those pivots are like really, really rare. I think mm-hmm. most of the pivots are still in the in the realm of the original scope of the, like basically the original mission or the vision, and you basically pivot based on the user segment or, or the or the industry and so on. Yeah. Um. So, what advice would you give to a product manager that is trying to decide between whether they should go for a job at a big organization or to go for a job at a startup yeah yeah so first uh, you really really need to believe in the idea uh, and the mission um, because it's a, it's a long journey it's a long ride uh, right so 
you need, you definitely and then they're going to be it's going to be a roller coaster the other thing i forgot to mention when we talked about large company versus a smaller company is stability right so it's it's that you know that you know you're going to get paid every month and there's the certain level of flexibility and expectations but in a startup you need to keep raising funds every 18 months in a typical startups right so and then there'll be times when you won't be able to raise you might have to wait 6 months uh, and then there'll be times of lot of uncertainty which is not there in large startups so you need to be able to actually write through those uh, in a startup right so which you need to really have that and the only way you can do that if you're really like married to the idea that you're so passionate and you're so mission driven and 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 then that's when you should join a startup right and again i'm talking about like early stage companies here by the way but again if it's a late stage company like right now is on instacart or like when uber was in like series d then then you know, that's a different completely different so then you know it's already growing then why not right but i'm talking more about early stage startups can you talk a little bit about the the, the ride that you went on and craft with that so uh, you came in as employee number 2 as you said i think there were about 60 people when you left and you'd gone through uh series a at that point what what was the difference in the the atmosphere what was the you know would you go back to a company at that early in a stage would you join something at a you know potentially a b or c valuation instead yeah so uh, i mean without going to too much of the details itself but like um it was one hell of a journey i would absolutely do <laughs> right it's i'm one of those people i, I like taking risks and i'm a very uh, like a mission driven and a passionate pm uh, i i like those kinds of uh, but it's not for everyone that's what i was trying to say but i would absolutely personally go through it myself um, and also the high which you get uh, is something which i enjoy <laughs> i don't know if it's a thing or a bad thing um, but uh, so the, so the, but then you know that's what makes the whole journey worth it right you you are you are with this team you have this group of amazing people smart talented people and there's so much uncertainty and you're in it together and you're going through this journey um with so less resources just with this idea and mission in mind and that's an incredible experience i think everyone should go through at least once in their lifetime fantastic that kartik is there anything else you wanted to to share or i think that's the end of our questions and we can do a wrap up if let's yeah. see um i think just to uh, i think add a few more points on what advice would you give to pms who are deciding to join a startup so that the mission there is one the second i think as as i mentioned uh, you need to be able to be very patient and wait a long time for the exit or the rewards because it's going to take a long time whereas if you're in a public company you have a stock you can sell it every quarter right and you can see that so that's another difference um then there's also huge risk you're taking there's a chance that you might you might end up you work for 2 3 years startup doesn't go anywhere um and then finally really understand the different scenarios like what your what what is the percentage of your ownership of your shares what is the valuation of the company at which you're getting those shares what are the different exits at which you can make x amount of money how much money do you need to exercise these options and and can you fund it right and then all of these things or need to be you know you also need to uh, think about from a financial perspective other than like mission led mission driven and idea driven perspective before you take the plunge uh, into working for an early stage startup Kartik you mentioned a couple of times the uh, share of ownership that you might have and I can take a look at how many shares I have and what valuation and make a determination for myself whether that's I think that's fair and good but how would I know what percentage of ownership what ownership stake I should be looking at Yeah that's a really good question and uh, it really depends on the stage of the company so is it pre seed is it seed is it series a series b and 
and also at what function you're coming are you coming in engineering function are you coming in marketing function so it really depends on the on a, it's, it's a function of your role and also the stage at which the company is in and there's so many websites online where you can actually find uh, you know some kind of comps to base it off of but i would really encourage you to do that research before accepting the offer because i have friends uh, in other startups who like join series a startups who got like 0.01% which is like ridiculous and they didn't know that because they were just given an offer which just says here's the number of shares and it looked like a big amount but in reality that was actually like they were being severely undervalued um on the other hand i think the whole industry is shifting more towards transparency like i just said carta is kind of uh, leading that uh, and then craft i was like super transparent in that um so but if if so that's what i would urge like if 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 the offer letter is not really telling you that please do the research speak to some people within the company speak to some people maybe in the same industry in other companies just to get an idea of like what the shareholder pers- like the ownership percentage is uh before accepting the offer that makes sense thank you very much that's fantastic advice uh hopefully people who are listening will not be accepting any bad offers and everyone will get the offer the santa will come and bring them the offer that they want in the new year <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us on the podcast kartik yeah thank you so much for having me uh, it's a pleasure and happy holidays and happy new year thank you kartik That was some great insight into compensation at startups and how that works with share options. Yeah, it's almost a topic in its own right. And if you do want to hear more on this, then just let us know and we'll see if we can get some experts in to chat to us about it. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer. and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band Pau, that's P A U. Thanks to Arne Kittler who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com/forward/slash/product-tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups driven by and for product people. We offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share learnings and tips. Mm-hmm.